welcome to the podcast, The Common Bridge with Richard Helpy. Rich is a successful entrepreneur in the technology, health, and finance space. He and his wife, Leslie, are also philanthropists with interest in civic and artistic endeavors, but with a primary focus on medically and educationally underserved children. My name is Brian Kruger, and from time to time, I'll be the moderator and host of this podcast. Okay, this is part two of Rich Helpy's interview with healthcare expert and consultant Nate Kaufman. Uh, we joined it in progress. One of the things I've been thinking about, I, it, it, I don't seem to have a week go by that someone doesn't say, hey, look, I've got this company to invest in, and uh, you can detect cancer off a urine sample or something like that. And if, if that was true, then that would be lower cost, more efficient. What do we need to do to keep the innovation engine humming? Well, it's a good question. I mean, um, again, my interest in innovation has to do much more with the backside of healthcare. That is the really sick patients. Um, people say um, uh, we don't need hospitals anymore, um, and they're always talking about Netflix and Amazon, so on and so forth. My son is a hospital administrator. His hospital's full. He says people don't die. Um, you know, hospitals are really full um, with people with. 80-year-old people with multiple chronic conditions um, in beds. They're full with people with cancer. People don't die from cancer anymore. They, they live a long time, and they have multiple chronic conditions. Um, we, an interesting fun fact is that the number of acute care visits to primary care physicians is actually going down. Um, the reason for that is that we don't have enough primary care physicians, and when you're sick, you can't get in to see them. So, um, it's, and so urgent care is becoming really popular. Um, and so my interest in innovation is how do we care for all these very old, very sick people? Because we're going to have a bunch of them, and they're going to drive up costs. And that's where I see the need. Um, everyone's talking about primary care. That's not where the cost problem is. The cost problem is on the other side where we have, we're going to have a whole bunch of people with um, cancer and, mo and five different chronic conditions that are living till 85, 90, and we we're not going to know how to take care of them or what to do with them. And they're going to be driving up costs as we develop new drugs to keep these people alive. That is a, a wonderful insight into this. And it, I want to shift gears uh, a little bit here and uh, talk about some of the policies that have been placed for so long. And I, I'm an advocate of taxing the employer-provided benefits. Um, it's compensation. Uh, there was a day when a popular benefit for people was a company car. And when those started to be taxed as compensation, because it is, uh, the company cars basically went away. And I have a theory that if you taxed people for the value of their health plan, 
they might start questioning what's in the plan itself and that that might introduce the consumer in. Um, obviously, this is a very dangerous political rail for any politician to take on. Uh, but I'm wondering, just as a healthcare economist, any merit to this at all? Um, I don't think so. Um, and, and the reason I don't is that uh, there's the vast majority of the population, uh, first of all, they don't understand their health care. Um, they wouldn't be able to discriminate uh, between a good health care plan and a, a bad health care plan. Um, they, um, there aren't Kaisers out there around the country. You know, they're just looking at copayments and deductibles. Um, it's unfortunate. I've I've spoken to um, the teachers unions here in California. Um, they're they really don't understand um, healthcare, um, how to use it. Um, what we need to do is design plan. We need to advocate for them and design plans that make sense uh, for them. I think we need to be more. Uh, we need to help them choose. Uh, uh, for example, um, for, there's a I call it the rule of 47. 47 percent of the people don't get colonoscopies. 47 percent of women don't get mammograms. Um, they don't get the appropriate interventions, flu shots, and so on and so forth. To me, where we need to be focusing on is somehow getting people to to um, actually um, taxing them if they don't get the appropriate interventions because those people who don't get colonoscopies end up getting colon cancer and and uh, mammograms get breast cancer and so on and it, we have the ability to prevent a lot of these five percenters so from my perspective again the healthcare system isn't designed to deal with the cost problem that we have so um that's where we need to start um, is, is look is part of that cost problem it, that the last stats i saw was that the average american's private health insurance plan they held it for about 18 months uh, because they changed jobs or the employer switched plans um, and would that be part of the problem in that if you have a 52-year-old person who needs a colonoscopy and they're insured by payer A, uh, and payer A says, gosh, if they don't get that colonoscopy till next year, I may not need to pay for it. And when the potential awful consequences of not having that colonoscopy manifest, they'll be long gone. I mean, isn't that part of the issue is that healthcare is longitudinal, uh, good health you know, prevention, mammograms, colonoscopies, flu shots, and the like, those are longitudinal, but the payment system's focused on a 12-month period, which really doesn't seem to make any sense. Am I kind of getting to where, where the point that you're driving here? Right, right. I mean, th you think about that, and you, and you think about how, how many payers have actually said, rather than denying care, we think this patient should actually get a more expensive treatment. You know, we're not we're not thinking about those kinds of things. Or, um, you know, for example, Amazon, a self-funded payer, 
has actually developed a relationship with the City of Hope, which is a, can- a specialized cancer treatment center, and said, what we, what we think we want to do, and I don't know all the details, but the theory is, according to the literature, that if one of our employees gets cancer, we want to send them to the City of Hope for a second opinion or first opinion, because we want to get a specialist to in- cancer specialist to intervene right away. You know, see, those kinds of things make sense to me because that's one of those high-cost claimant type of 5%er situations. Um, Walmart's trying to, has done the same thing with the Mayo where they say they incentivize their employees to go to Mayo, and they found that when they send their cancer patients to Mayo, they found a lot of misdiagnosis and mistreatment um, by some of the community patients that were treated by community-based physicians. So again, we, this is where I get to, you know, people talk about taxing and this and that. To me, the issue is what's the cost of a misdiagnosis? What's the cost of the wrong treatment? You know, so we're focusing on the wrong issue of, from my perspective, it's really, how do we get people to, to get the right interventions how do we get people to the right doctors in the, in the first place? And how do we optimize the, the chance that they're getting the right treatment? And if somebody, for example, has cystic fibrosis or HIV, which are, again, some of these high-cost treatments, uh, diseases where we spend $250,000, $300,000 per year per person, how do we make sure that they're getting the right care, coordinated care, so that we're not um spending too much or, or giving them the wrong drugs or whatever. These are the kinds of things that we need to be focusing on, and our delivery system isn't designed to do that. So we're talking about Medicare for all, and we're talking about, you know, should we tax or should we not tax? And that's not the issue. The issue is our delivery system is designed to just ping pong these people around and give them deductibles and for payers to puke all over providers. And we're not focused on on dealing with the real issue, which is how can we get patients the right care? And, and that's a very that's my, that's my speech. Well, <laughs> it, well, you know what? It, look, it, when I look at this from a policy point of view, uh, where we're in agreement, Republicans are just flat out bewildered. Um, they don't know which way to turn. Um, they're very disorganized. Uh, Democrats are going to throw out policy proposals that there's going to be a chicken in every pot and everything's going to, to work out famously. Um, but upon examination, you find it it's kind of nonsense. People need to think about the future of a politician that said, hey, uh, our health care system isn't designed for the issues of today. Um, you know, it would there'd be no villain in the news cycle to, to be constantly uh, pounded on. It wouldn't be something that could be used as a cudgel by one party over the other. And in the meantime, uh, our country continues just to drift with this very central issue uh, remaining unaddressed. Um, right. Nate, Nate one, one thing, I, I, as you know, I'm a, 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 an advocate or a fan, if you will, of um, Medicare Part D. And, you know, my view on that is that it's a fair fight, uh, that we've pitted the for-profit health plans versus the for-profit pharmaceuticals. 
there's actually leverage in the model. Um, if Pfizer wants to put Lipitor into the formulary, uh, they've got to hit a price point, or United Healthcare will kick them out. Um, you, you know, you put that same model inside of uh, CMS, Medicare, and Pfizer will just go get their lobbyists to, to put that in at whatever cost they want. Um, it's Medicare Part D's also real insurance. Uh, you get in, it's reasonable cost, even if you're not using any drugs. Uh, but if you don't get in um, when you're eligible, it's just, it, it costs a lot more, like trying to buy house insurance after the house is already on fire. Um, last numbers I saw, still running at 95% subscriber satisfaction, still running nearly 40% below cost projections. Is this something that's been done right? Um, it's interesting. I'm, again, I'm a subscriber to Part D. I buy most, uh, at least half of my drugs on good RX for cash. It's cheaper. Uh, it, it just turns out there's an there's a, um, a an app where you can just go online and find the drugs cheaper, um, which is even a better model for uh, as far as uh, the market's concerned. Um, I just, it's still more expensive than Canada, um, the Part D drugs, and um, I don't understand why. Um, I think it's okay, but again, I can buy my Lipitor at a, at a pharmacy with an app cheaper than I can get it on uh, Part D. Yeah, we discovered that too for certain uh, hypertension medications for people in our family uh, ordering them from Canadian pharmacy. And even though we're sitting here on the Canadian border, we don't even have to cross the bridge to uh, to get there. Uh, Nate, you, you've been an outstanding guest on the Common Bridge. Uh, I, I, what haven't we covered or what would you like people to understand or um, any calls to action? What, what, what else do we need to get out there in the podcast well, I think, world? I think the, the one thing, from, from my standpoint, as far as reform is concerned, there's two or three things that I would like to see. Because the one thing that I spend most of my time in, on is I spend most of my time with doctors. And I see that healthcare costs as a percentage of the GDP is, is somewhat leveling off. Um, uh, hospitals and physicians, um, reimbursement from the insurance company, companies is flattening out. And so from my standpoint, we need to get control over administrative costs. I see no reason why um, medical necessity of, by United Healthcare is different than Blue Cross of uh, Michigan, for example, why we can't have a clearinghouse for medical necessity. Um, that would save um, billions of dollars so that um, if an MRI is deemed to be medical, medically necessary, it's deemed to be medically necessary for all. Um, denial management is, is a huge cost, and so consolidating a claims clearinghouse and a medical necessity clearinghouse for all payers um, would save would save billions and it would be an incremental change so there's one way of, of submitting forms for all payers there's one way of getting uh, pre-authorization for all payers and I would say we could probably save tens of billions of dollars by doing that and it's a simple incremental change the second thing is drug costs. Um, again, there's no reason why 
we can't get the same kinds of rates that they get in Canada for our for our drugs, at least for Medicare and Medicaid. And the third thing is, I don't understand why Blue Cross of, say, um, Alabama can have 90% market share, but providers can't have 90% market share. So for me, when I think about health care reform, if we could just have a single clearinghouse for medical necessity and claims, if we could just have buy drugs just like every other country, and if we could just apply the same antitrust rules to health plans as we do to providers, we could save, we could, those three simple incremental changes could cut healthcare costs by 30%, and we, we would have time to begin to reform the entire system. So that, that's what I'm advocating for. Uh, Nate, you're the only person I know that has the insight into the um, economics, uh, the flow of funds, the diagnostic treatment, um, and real solutions that uh, could work. Uh, I would say I'm heartily on board with all three of your recommendations. Um, they indeed um, are what the Common Bridge is about. Um, and uh, the only thing I would adjust would be if they're saying you don't need that MRI and you want to come out of pocket for it, great, you should have that option if, uh, if that's the care you think you want and you have a way to pay for it. Um, Sure. But the, uh, the common bridge is a, not about ideology. It's not about partisan politics. It's about let's look at real problems and let's find real solutions. And I know that America's grateful for experts like you that are, are willing to lean in uh, and give us these kinds of ideas. So thank you for being part of the common bridge today, Nate. Uh, do appreciate it, my friend. Hey, thanks for inviting me. You have been listening to Richard Helpy's Common Bridge podcast, recording and post-production provided by Stunt3 Multimedia. All rights are reserved by Richard Helpy. For more information, visit richardhelpy.com.